Hi, this is Bernie Torrance. And I'm Carol Yoder, and we'd like to invite you to our program called Living Stones. It's time to move from being a stepping stone to a living stone. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Remember, God doesn't waste anything. You're created to be a believer, walking in wisdom and values. Well, Carol, I am so excited today because, you know, this is Living Stones, and we talk about people that literally have changed the world by being reformers. And we have one such person on the call today, Randy Walker. Yes, I'm so excited to have Randy because I've I've met Randy several times, but I've heard about him so much before I met him and all his work in the prisons. And then I meet him and he has this amazing Southern accent drawl uh-huh. that sure. just draws you in and makes you feel like his best friend. So I'm just so happy to have Randy today. So what's happening is uh, Randy Walker was part of a major reformation in the state of Alabama in the prison and correction system. Uh, he began uh, just going in and, and ministering to the needs of inmates. And then God opened a door that took him right into the governor's office and uh, we were down there at the convention center training uh, the leaders of this this entire corrections business. And that's when I found out, Carol, that corrections is, is a billion-dollar business in these mm. states. It spends more money in corrections than they do in education. It's the number one wow. expenditure after Medicaid in the, in the states. And so there were these business people saying... The prisons can't survive, but you can't close them up because we have prisoners there. And in comes Randy Walker. So we welcome you today, Randy. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bernie and Carol. It's a real pre- uh, pleasure and an honor to be with you today. So how did you move uh, from ministering to inmates to the governor's office with you and Mike Pullen and Jerry getting to go in to see that governor? <laughs> well, I don't really know. It was just one of those favorable things that the Lord blessed us with. Um, back in the early 90s, I was uh, at a church and just volunteered my time to go into the prisons to um, to do ministry. And I think really over the years of doing that, um, you know, you, you create relationships, develop relationships with inmates, and you begin to see them uh, leave prison, but then they come back. Mm. And, um, you know, that really uh, got under, I guess, in my heart. I I felt like there was more that we needed to do, that maybe the just the ministry was part of it, but it wasn't everything that they needed. So uh, over the years, I just began to pray about that and seek the Lord and, and seek for solutions to uh, how can we better help people prepare themselves for uh, reentering society. The reality is, and I think this is what hit me, is that the majority of people who are in prison are coming home. And um, it's really on us if we don't do something during that time to better prepare them to come mm-hmm. home. Because um, when we want them, to, when, we, when they do come out, 
we want them to come out better than they were than they went in, not the same as they were. And you have proven that to be be a truth in the corrections facility. A couple words that I want to share with our listeners. One is the 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 word recidivism, and that's the one that I learned from you, Randy. That means when a person comes out, what's their chance of going back into prison? And in those days, it was sixty to eighty percent in many of these. Imagine having a business that you had a 60 or 80% failure rate, Carol. Can you imagine that? No, I, it's just incredible. Oh, that's so true. Yes. And uh, and so Randy was there. And then the other thing, I remember you telling me when, when people would invent uh, or um, would introduce you to their children in prison. It was like, oh, I want you to be my son or this is my dad. Almost like it's part of a generational thing. Well, that's true. Um, you know, the, the latest most comprehensive study that the Department of Justice uh, completed, uh, they tracked over 400,000 inmates from 2005 and 2010. And at the end of that five years, um, the data was coming from 30 states. And the shock was that um, there was there was over 70 percent of the uh, inmates that they tracked that had been reincarcerated for some reason. My. And then they did a nine-year look back. And in that nine years, they found that um, a little over 81% of those that they were tracking had been reincarcerated. So that's, that's a daunting number. We should really mm. be concerned about that. And then yeah. with the children, um, I think the statistic this been fairly consistent for years from a federal perspective um, they claim that 70 percent of the children who have at least one parent that is incarcerated they themselves will follow that same pathway oh my goodness so, so we see that a lot you know you have um, hmm. children of incarcerated men and women that are not being parented um, by their parents and um, they're they're they are following in the same uh, pathways that their parents did. So, you know, that's, you're right. Whenever you're in prison and you have a, a father that introduces you to his son mm. and he's got this big smile on his face, like we're together. Mm. But the big picture of that is the sadness of knowing that those are two different generations that are both in prison together. And uh, so that's, those are the things uh, that we see and that we know and the statistics speak to us that we've just got to do a better job, uh, have a better strategy of how we prepare people to come out of prison, knowing that they're going to uh, experience some, some significant problems and, and challenges when they come out. And uh, that's where we as a church and organizations can uh, maybe bridge those gaps to do a better job of helping people uh, reintegrate into society. Well, it's not just words, Carol. What's happened there in Alabama is um, really been uh, heralded across the nation. And, uh, you know, this being our COVID year that we talk about, well, there's a lot of things that have happened. These protests that are happening with policing and, you know, defunding police and everything. What we're seeing is that there is absolute transformation that can take place in the corrections. I'm going to use that word rather than prison because corrections is what it's about. This is a chance where people can gain a skill, get a college degree, mm -hmm. correct their lives. And that's what Randy has been doing along with Church of the Highlands. Um, they've worked with President Trump. They've had uh, people that have gone down there to explain exactly what's happening. But Randy actually has a vocational academy 
where people mm-hmm. are coming out. And Randy, you look at, at about a three-year program, right? As a person gets out, before they can be released to the old temptations, uh, you get them in, in, first of all, values and principles. That's where we come in. Mm-hmm. To, but then a vocation that they can be proud of with a livable wage. Because many people, if they were making $1,000 an hour on the streets, it's hard to bring them back for $10 an hour to work in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that's what Randy has brought dignity and identity in there. Tell us a little bit about that core academy. Well, I sure will, Bernie. We are, we're very, very um, pleased with, with what we've been seeing for the last four years. Um, so we have a nonprofit. We felt like it was important to operate this as a nonprofit to where we could actually um, come into a uh, contractual type relationship with the Department of Corrections. So what has occurred over the last few years is uh, one of the the uh, primary uh, level four, which is a medium security prison facility, they have actually given us our own housing unit, which is uh, 260 beds. Hmm. We have 260 men that we have selected, uh, they applied for the program and we selected them from all over the state and uh, the Department of Corrections transferred them to this particular prison. And um, they all live together in a housing unit. We have six classrooms in that housing unit. We have two offices and full-time staff that are there every single day. And uh, what we have found is that the community that we build inside the create inside the prison the environment that that comes from that and having the right people you know if you want success on the back end you need to load it first for Mm. success on the front end yes so as much as we want to help everyone that's in prison everyone's not ready for that i Mm. I love the saying that when the student's ready the teacher will appear and we see what we're seeing take place now is that men are learning how to function successfully in an, in a community. They realize that they have a role to play in the success of that community. And then we have um, a large number of, of uh, volunteer instructors that come in that are very qualified to teach courses. So the University of Alabama <laughs> is part of that. We have students from the university that are in the business commerce school they come out every week and uh, they bring their laptops and they work with with inmates that are uh, building or creating, I should say, uh, mm. business plans. And the students work with them and do research for them. Um, we have a uh, coalition of industries in the state of Alabama that have really had challenges prior to COVID breaking out. They had significant challenges building a workforce. So uh, they have partnered with us. Um, we have business school inside the prison as well as uh, all the other classes. These guys are on a two to three year, depending on um, what their goal is. Uh, full-time school is just like a college. They're in class every day. Um, we do the round tables there, and those are actually led by inmate facilitators that have been trained. So all 260 men participate in a round table every week. And um, what we're seeing is that it's more than just a classroom. It's more than just information that they need. They need community. They need the ability to um, talk with one of our volunteers when they're faced with with, uh, really serious situations like the passing of a loved one. Sure. Uh, 
you know, so we realized too that, you know what, uh, all these guys have issues like that, that they have no control over. So we brought in a professional to start um, holding grief classes. So now we have classes for um, inmates that are experiencing grief in their life, uh, serious things like losing your parents or a child or something of that nature. So that's been very helpful. Um, we're con in, in our connection with the workforce, uh, we have several um, chambers of commerce throughout the state that are working with us. Uh, we're developing programs with the state that will be certified worker programs for the men. And uh, we already do have the um, certified ACT testing where they can earn Amazing. employment certificates. So we're trying to prepare them strategy-wise the best way we can to have the pieces that they need to help them be successful. And then uh, looking at, okay, what happens next, we have our own transition facility that uh, we transition men to. We work with um, the state in regards uh -huh. to parole and that sort of thing. And then from that point, um, we help them get uh, located in areas where they where their employment's going to be. So it's a process. You know, you have to build that bridge. It must start while they're incarcerated. You can't wait till they get out to start mm -hmm. working with them because it's too late at that point. Um, but then you got to take the journey with them. So we look at it as less... Let us help them take this journey and and walk it out with them so that they will be more successful when they get, oh, when they get out. Oh, I salute wow. you. I salute you. That's so beautiful. Randy, one of the things that I'm thinking about while you're talking is uh, it all stemmed from something that had to come from your heart. And I'm wondering, like, what was it in you that was birthed? How was the this compassion birthed? For the prisoner did you have someone in your life that was incarcerated or I keep thinking about the phrase some that your gifts will make room for you yeah, and mm -hmm. it sounds like you just started with one one little seed you know going in and then it's grown and grown to this but what was it that um, the compassion in your heart like what was it that drove you to even start to have the courage <laughs> to go in uh, chuckle at that Carol, because it, it honestly didn't happen that way for me. Um, and, you know, our church, we've got over a thousand trained volunteers that serve in, we're in 20 prisons in state plus jails and juvenile facilities. And one of the things that I tell people is uh, don't wait on God to, to give you a, uh, a call that you can hear, you know, um, if you feel something in your heart that you need to do, just take a step. And for me, um, my background was in both law enforcement and in business. And uh, I remember the opportunity I had to go into prison. Um, it was, I was just asked by a friend of mine, and I tell people, say, the voice of God may just be an invitation from somebody you know to go wow, with them. Wow. <laughs> and, and that's what happened to me. And honestly, I didn't want to go. My experience with that population was very negative from a law enforcement perspective. Sure. But I was... I was doing what I could do to to walk out what I believe was my, my Christian walk. So I told the Lord, I'm going to go. I don't want to go. I'm not looking forward to it. It wasn't that I was afraid. Uh, I didn't fear for my life. I just didn't know how to help people at, in, in that population. So we started teaching a class in a maximum security uh, prison. All these people were lifers. Uh -huh. 
and uh, they had a death row there. So it was it, it was a prison. They chose to uh, launch the pilot program for the faith-based community for the state of Alabama. So I got to be involved in that. But here's what happened to me. I, I, I can't say I ever heard the voice of the Lord give me really an assignment in that until I <clears throat> came to Church of the Highlands, and that's where um, the Lord really gave me the vision for how we do prison ministry now. But at this time, it was just volunteers going in and teaching, doing what they could. So here's what I experienced as I went. I, uh, the more that I went, the more comfortable I felt. But but what impacted me, Carol, the I guess the transformation that I had was when the Lord began to use me to minister to people in a way that was life changing to them. Um, I'll never forget my first experience of actually I'd been a Christian a long time, but I don't recall that I ever brought somebody to the Lord face to face. And that happened to me in prison and it changed my life. Um, The. The way the Lord was, the Holy Spirit was using me and others to minister to men that um, we may not have been able to see long term what happened to them, but we sure saw a change take place of them in them at you know in the immediate time, and that changed my life. I realized that God could use me, and even though I wasn't trained or called into full time ministry, God could use what He put inside me. So I think that's the value to all of us that are in the kingdom of God is that um, if we if we center up on focusing on what I can do, we're missing it anyway. It's, yeah. There's nothing I can do. But if we rely on the Holy Spirit to say, look, Lord, here I am, send me, and I just go and let love or compassion or a word in season that the Lord gives me, that's, all, that's really all we need. What's so amazing then is that uh, Randy was attending Church of the Highlands, they hear about his ministry, then they make this decision. We are going to enter the prison ministry, but we're not going to do it like sending people in as evangelists. We're going to wrap our arms around that facility, and that will become one of our church campuses. And so Randy was part of the opening of these campuses. Randy, where a a mega church is actually taking place right within the walls of the prison, correct? That is correct, yes. Explain how that happened. Well, um, yeah, so so the years of my experience was was just traditional prison ministry, and there is great value for that. Um, I think the way it actually happened with me personally, uh, I was uh, my wife and I joined Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, and as large as that church was, it did not have a prison ministry. And that was an area that was near and dear to my heart by that time. I'd, I'd been doing it for 15 plus years. So I just began to pray it out and wondering why I was there. You know, what what is the role that God has for me? And over a um, couple of years' time, <clears throat> as I was praying it out, it just kept boiling up inside of me that we have to do a better job of preparing people for their next life and transformation. So what is it that would transcend, uh, help them transcend from uh, their life in prison and be able to to really uh, work through the past and and leave that behind to go into a to a real future and i felt like you know the local church is that's that's why we're here you know yeah. that's we're, we're the voice of the lord we are the 
the ones to help people walk that out, just like we we walked it out. So as I began to pray, what was the church's role in that? The Lord actually opened my eyes to see that I was sitting in the middle of the model. You know, Church of the Highlands was a, uh, is and was at that time a, um, a satellite church. We had campuses throughout the state. And that campus model that works on the outside would certainly work on the in the same community <laughs> on the inside. Oh, so, you know, when you've got a uh, 2,000 plus people living in a prison, that's a community. My goodness. <laughs> it is a community. So, you know, you don't have, you have the church activity going on, but you, we didn't have, at least in Alabama, we didn't have what we would call the local church represented inside prison. So as we just walked that out, and uh, prayed it out, really. There wasn't a way to walk it because I had no authority to do anything. But I could start a small group. So um, that's when I came up in 2009. I mm-hmm. met uh, Jerry uh, Anderson. He came to Birmingham for a, a wedding that he was in. I met him. He invited me to come up to Red to the, I think it was the 20th anniversary you were it having. It was, 1989, yeah. And uh, boy, God used that in such a powerful way. You know, I, I heard the testimonies from uh, people all over the, the world, the globe, that had been using the principles and, and the impact they had to change a culture. And, uh, oh, I'm getting I'm getting sucked in like nothing. You know, I just said, <laughs> I'm in a whirlwind. <laughs> oh, really? And um, then um, when I was in the roundtable on the fourth day, uh, the facilitator made a comment that uh, the way she found the Lord was in the roundtable. She was actually facilitating it, and it was in the uh, process of the roundtables that, that the Lord spoke to her. So now I'm like, okay, this is an evangelistic piece that I'm looking for. So I, I brought that back and made an appointment to go to one of the wardens at, at the prison that we're in right now, uh, where we started. And uh, I just laid it out for her, and I said, look, I— we can't start our LifeLink program. We had been approved to do our LifeLink core at that prison. Uh-huh. But in 2008, the economy tanked, and yes. we lost our funding. We lost our jobs. So I wanted to do something. So she approved for us to get started. So here's here's the beauty of how God works. And she made it a warden's program instead of a chapel program and uh-huh. signed me to the visitation yard because she wanted men to come that would never go to a church service. She believed in what we were going to do. Amazing. And, uh, Bernie, we had three men out of 2,000. <laughs> Peter, James, and, and John. Um, so we started it in January of 2010, and the chaplain felt so bad for us that he made nine other men go. So we started, we started oh, with our disciple team. We had 12 men. Oh, my. And within a year of being there every day for, I mean, every week for mm-hmm. five hours, um, the first first class that we had with 12, I split them up into two groups so that we would have a, uh, the ability to grow. Well, that grew to over 500 men in that facility wow. by the end of the year that were in small groups, uh, roundtables, including the entire faith-based uh, community. And then, as you know, that was the yes. uh, springboard that led us into rolling this out statewide into the Department of Corrections uh, officials and staff and then from there it went into the alabama uh, pardon and parole board so over those next two or three years just from planting one seed yes with just um one person and then a few more people and then a few more uh it 
it just actually it became the springboard for our Church of the Highlands ministry. It all came out of that. And how many people are now involved in that within Church of the Highlands? How many satellites do you have, and and how many people would be involved? Well, yeah, we're in uh, 20 prisons right now, state prisons. We have mm-hmm. two more that uh, are on hold. We had planned to be in them already. The COVID uh, lockdown sure. put that on hold. And then we're in uh, a couple of uh, state I'm sorry, county jails uh, that are very productive in several juvenile facilities. So we've had to get really creative on how to do ministry during this time. But we have over a thousand trained um, volunteers that serve with us. Mm. Um, we're doing things right now. We, we, we have drive-in prayer services on Saturday mornings where people will just drive their cars to the parking lot in the prison and we pray. Um, we started the outdoor Sunday morning services. Um, and then we, you know, we, we still supply, we, we get in orders of hygiene uh-huh. that we take to the prisons to supplement, uh, their needs, particularly with indigent, uh, mm-hmm. populations and just whatever we can find to do right now. Oh, uh, everybody mm-hmm. is just, we, we can't wait to get back in. And, um, oh. so the round tables, uh, we're going to the first three prisons. When I was brought on staff at Church of the Highlands to develop prison ministry, that was in 2012. The first three prisons that we actually opened up, we opened up doing roundtables. Yes. We did not have an opportunity to do church services, but the church services came as a result of our presence. So the roundtables made such an impact in all the prisons that the Department of Corrections seen the value of it in the local leadership, the wardens and, and all that were on a local level saw that that change was actually taking place in people that they had known and watched and and managed for years. And uh, it shocked a lot of people. Oh, right. So Part uh, of- they saw the value. Of course, they attributed it to Church of the Highlands, but it's, it's volunteers, it's people that sure. care mm-hmm. and it's having a really a centerpiece that you can bring people together like the round tables and have a meaningful uh, discussion that doesn't end at the end of the round table session. It continues on as um, particularly in prison because these men live together. Sure. They see each other uh, daily. So conversations about the principle, maybe it was the principle of restraint. Um, Those conversations carry on throughout the week. And uh, that's where we began to see significant change, because I, I'm a believer huh. in this, that if transformation, true transformation takes place inside of a person, there must be evidence of it. And that evidence is only what people can see, which is a change in behavior, yes. a change in conduct, a change in the people that are your companions, a change in the way you respect authority and, and other inmates. And that is that is the key to the authorities, the the staff recognizing that what we're doing is making a difference because the interactions they have with the inmates is very different. The environment changes within the within the prisons, and that now Carol has cross pollinated into Texas and Florida uh, through Gateway Church there and, and, um, and Christ Church there in Florida. They've used the same model of that satellite here in Ohio, uh, Faith Family. Uh, church uh, went down, visited, and and again mobilized their people into a whole new type of of prison types of ministry. We want to pray for you, Randy. And and uh, there was something said at one of my meetings when we were down there with the state. I'll never forget it. 
um, the fellow was explaining to me, we were, we were at the George Wallace Training Center. And uh, he said, this has been the birthplace of civil rights right here in Birmingham, Alabama. And he said, today we are teaching civil responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And they made the comment that we cannot really have civil rights without understanding the civil responsibilities. It was such a Amen. moment, and that's happening all the way through. Would you pray for us, Carol? I would love to. Lord, thank you for the seeds that have been planted into the hearts of men, that those seeds would then grow and reproduce and bring more harvest, Lord, for the kingdom of God. I thank you for the transformation that's taking place. And I thank you for the creativity that you're giving to men and women on the earth today, Lord, through technology, through when, when something looks shut down, Lord, that's okay. You're not shut down. And so, Lord, there's still room to give. There's room to minister. There's room to bring your word. And so I thank you for those that are out there that are listening, that are looking for seed to plant, and they're looking for harvest to come. And I just pray for that creativity. I pray for Randy. I pray for Church of the Highlands. I pray for any other ministry that's going in to to see transformed lives and i just pray lord that you would continue to give what is needed and i thank you lord that we can be set free Mm. whether we're behind bars or not we can be set free in you lord and i just thank you for that in the name of jesus amen 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 Please visit us at www.lored.org for more values-based leadership material. And if you've enjoyed this program, please sign up for the weekly downloads and share this podcast with your friends.